All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the sixth episode of the Mind Healing Through Mind and Motion podcast. Um, this is where we explore the mind, the body, and how they work together so that we can overcome chronic pain and chronic illness and live a life that we love. I'm your host, Brian Cade, and I'm excited to have Jessica Kissel on the show today. She has an amazing, amazing story of healing herself and as well as being an advanced exercise therapist in the Agoscu Method. Postural Restoration Institute trained and also studying a lot of different stuff. Like she's going through a pain science certification right now from Australia, has done another course on the mind and the emotions. And very much she's several steps ahead of me on the path that I'm going down with mind body work. Um, so happy to have you on the show. Welcome. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, I'm a lifelong learner, always wanting to see what's new and exciting and that can help people. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's always, uh, there's always another thing that's like, oh, what is this part? How can that add? There's too many. You can't do it all. That's what I have to tell myself. <laughs> yeah. Same thing myself. It's like, slow down one thing at a time and you already know enough. Right. Yes, yeah. we got to remember that. Yeah. So with all of that training, especially focused around pain, like how did you get into this work? Pain. pain. Injury. Being a gymnast for 15 plus years into, into college and just multiple injuries and pain and knee, three knee surgeries, hip surgery. And basically it was the doctor who said, you know, you need a hip replacement, you're 30 something and bone on bone and come back when you're disabled enough, can't do anything. And that was not acceptable to me. Mm. And I was an activity. My greatest joy in life is being outside moving. And um, that was threatened big time. And so I started a search of, you know, there's got to be another way. Yeah. I'm not going to resolve myself to just getting worse and getting worse and getting worse. And that's how this path has evolved. It's uh, still evolving. <laughs> yeah. And so just curious, you were told bone on bone, you need a hip replacement. For a lot of people, we hear that. And it's like, especially when some, like as an Agoscu method practitioner, um, it's like, no, I have a real issue. This is a, <laughs> like, I, I, it's a real issue. It's bone on bone. Like I need something. What was it that allowed you to go through the process? Or what was your thoughts about that when you hear you're bone on bone, like you can't do that stuff? Well, it's very scary, right? Mm -hmm. When you hear that and picture that, you know, in your body, and of course they do show you pictures in the big hole in the, the labrum and, and all that kind of stuff. It's very frightening, but I don't know, for some reason, I didn't let that, that stop me. Mm -hmm. And what they're showing with the research actually in knee osteoarthritis is that you're never really bone on bone. There's always some joint space. There's mm -hmm. always, you know, if it was bone on bone, how could you move, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so there's, there's always um, something that is, you can build on 
in there. And, um, but at, at the time I didn't know that, but I just had this feeling that I couldn't accept that. And I added, I had to look and see if there was something else that I could do. So I guess I just, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't give into that idea. Yeah. So <laughs> I was just it, tenacious about it. <laughs> right. So hearing it, it was scary, but at the same time, you're like, that's not what I want for my life. I'm not going to go down that path. If I don't have to, exactly. Yeah. And so what do you think it was? Because you were in your 30s and bone on bone hip issues, we imagine to be someone at like 70. <laughs> so what was going on? Like what led to that? Um, and just a short note, as I mentioned, age is most people say we have pain because we're old. And it's like our pain is showing up so much sooner now in kids even where they're having hip issues, back issues in their teens. Um, so I just wanna make that note as I did make that comment, but what do you think was going on that wasn't age related and how did you end up with that kind of condition? Since I was young and I don't remember it well because I was young, um, yeah. I remember that I had to wear special shoes um, mm -hmm. because my alignment wasn't good from you know the foot to the knee to the hip and so forth i was a gymnast and i struggled i struggled like with a back bend and, and getting that extension so there were definitely some limitations and challenges with my physical structure that could i could have been born with who knows but from an early age i had that and then i did gymnastics which not an easy sport on the body for yeah. sure asks um, huge demands in not normal positions and right. stress and strains. And then from that, I decided professional mountain biking would be a good idea <laughs> and picture the position of being on a bike, not great posture. And when I say I was doing long events, I was doing 24 hour events. So long periods of time in a poor posture and, and a body that probably wasn't really designed for that much at, at that intensity and that position. And so I think it was more that I, I had some things coming in. Mm -hmm. And then I also overdid, not that I knew it at the time, but just too much of that repetition. Yeah. And so for you, it was position and repetitive motion in the wrong places. Right. Yeah. In, in bad positions, basically. And so that can create stress in the joints. And so in your book, the, and it's the pain-free athlete, right? The book? Uh, the, my business is the pain-free athlete. The book is winning the injury game. Uh, that's right. Yep. And so... In the winning the injury game, you talked about this idea of athleticism and health. And we often think that like, and I, I had it myself, but while I was getting migraines, I could lift weights and like, but you're healthy. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm falling apart. So can you elaborate? So we hear athlete, gymnast, 24 hour mountain bike. Can you share a little bit about that dynamic of the athleticism versus health and that relationship? And I believe I say something very similar to this in the book, just because I could ride my bike fast or for a long time 
does mm-hmm. not mean I was healthy and well. Yeah. I couldn't do fundamental movement. I couldn't, um, I had, you know, I had digestive issues. I was diagnosed with IBS. I had um, menstrual cramps and I had bad sinus issues. I was a very sick child actually. And that could be for a, a lot of very various reasons. But just because we can perform in an athletic arena does not mean that we are really well-rounded, healthy people. And I, my stress was, you know, trying to work full time, trying to train at that level. Mm-hmm. Stress, you know, I, I tried to be good about my sleep, but I'm sure that suffered as well. So we have to look at all of those pieces to really say that you are a healthy, well individuals, not just that I could ride well. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like that well balanced is something that keeps coming up with people I've talked to is like, it's more, it's going to be your sleep and nutrition. It's the movement itself. It's not one part that allows us full health and well-being. Absolutely. That is, that is a hundred percent correct. You've got to have all of those pieces performing at a high level. Yeah. And so you were a high level athlete who was stressed in bad positions, may have had some stuff growing up, got to the point where you had three knee surgeries and bone on bone, uh, arthritis in the hip. Yeah. a hip surgery as well. And a hip surgery. And in the book, you talked about how that hip surgery didn't actually make things better. You still had pain, if I believe that's correct. Correct. And I know you know this, Brian, (laughs) that a lot of times the pain is not from the joint. It's Mm -hmm. from all the surrounding imbalances Mm -hmm. in the tissues that are probably trying to protect because pain is about protection. They're trying to protect you And one of the things, one of the ways that our body protects you is by tightening up and limiting movement and it creates pain because pain is going to make us change our behavior. Yeah. And I want to just highlight that part where it's like you had the surgery and most people think that if I get the surgery, everything's better and I'd never have pain again. Me too. Totally. (laughs) Because that's how it was with my knee surgeries. I had three knee scopes. And, and they weren't big deals. And it's like, you know, just take it out. I mean, I had 80% of my, my meniscus battalion, my kneecap taken out, mm-hmm. but it's like, yeah, just take it out and I'll be back on my bike in a couple of weeks. We're good. So I just figured it'd be the same thing. Yeah. Not so much. Hip is a little more integral to the whole movement in your whole body right in the center there. Yeah. And so it's like, we're not, and I, I'll speak for myself, it's like, I'm not for or against surgery. If I was told something's torn, it's like, I might have the surgery. I also know that if I could move without pain and I didn't know it was torn, experientially, I might not get the surgery. So I'm personally, I'm like, what would I do if I was told something? And it might go either way. But it's beyond that is like, okay, the surgery might be the first step to create space. And then it's like the muscles and the imbalances need to be focused on if we want to eliminate pain. It's like surgery might just get you a short term, like not short term, but fix a certain spot 
and then it's looking big picture. Okay, why was pain there in the first place? What's going on deeper? What created the hole yeah. in my hip, so to speak? And of course, yes, I agree. Surgery is absolutely the right course of action in many cases, yeah. but we also have to remember that there is this whole designation of failed back surgery and the research shows, you know, you can image all these people and, you know, say half of them have stuff and half have pain, half don't. So the damage is not always correlate with the pain. So yeah. something else to keep in mind. Absolutely. And so you were there, you had the surgery, you're still in pain. You're like, I don't accept that. <laughs> <laughs> so what was next? Like what happened after that? I was depressed. <laughs> it was very hard. It was yeah. very mentally and emotionally hard because sports was also my social. Mm -hmm. It was what I did with my husband, getting outside, the sunshine, all of that. It was really, really, really difficult. And I read a book, um, Man's Search for Meaning mm -hmm. by Frankel. That was that he was a Nazi uh, camp survivor. And it gave me this message. How can I use this situation for good? How can I kind of turn the tables on this? How can I help myself? How can I help others? How can I not wallow in this? Oh, woe is me kind of thing. And so that was kind of the start of the shift in my mindset about how I was going to approach my situation. Yeah. So it seemed and like gave me the confidence to start looking and start trying. And it seemed like it, the mindset shift was kind of crucial to going down this path because initially <laughs> it sounded like it's like I'm done. I can't enjoy my life, do the things that I want to do to, okay, this has purpose for me. Right. And it's like, it There's seems an like, opportunity in pain yeah. and injury. It, it took a long time to look back yeah. and see what that was. You can't see it in the midst of it, but it's a growing opportunity. Pain can, an injury can help us kind of reflect back on everything about how my life was so in balance and not just in a physical way. Yeah. Beautiful. And so it, that was like the fuel, the motivation to move you forward, to find answers. And yeah, it's so funny you talked about the mindset um, and you might be getting to this because I was introduced to the Agaski method mm. and one of my clients, I was doing personal training at the time and she, uh, she gave me a, the tower, which is one of the pieces of equipment that we use. And um, I think she gave me the book and I mm. took it home and I just looked at the hip chapter, which is exactly what you're not supposed to do. But that's what I did. And I did the exercises and I did this thing where you're laying on your back for a long time. And I'm like, oh my God, what is this going to do? Because I'm an athlete. I've got to do more because that's, you know, to get better, more, 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 more. And laying here, not doing anything, I, I could not wrap my head around it. And honestly, it wasn't until somebody else gave me the book, my massage therapist, and I sat down and I read it from the beginning and got my mind wrapped around the whole idea that I could commit to it. Yeah. And that's, 
so huge because our belief on like what it is and what's possible is like determines what actions we're going to take from it. And I just, I was a wanting to be a power lifter. I deadlifted 500 pounds, could squat 400. I was like feeling great until I wasn't. And it's like my own journey. Every time I'd start to find some relief, I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good. I would go try to pick up weights and then it's like, I'd fall back. And it's like, it was always, I'd go just slow enough to then go all in. Right, right. It's kind of that boom and bust cycle that we often get into. And even when people just start exercising, they do that. They like, you know, I'm going to start this exercise program and they do all this stuff and then they're just laid down for days or weeks. And yeah, it's got to be more gradual. And it's really hard for those of us that are super motivated. Yeah. How did you... Was it just reading the book or what happened such that you're like, okay, now I can slow down? Or did you still push a little bit too hard even reading the book? <laughs> so then I found a therapist uh-huh. um, and the, uh, the Phoenix Clinic, I was in New Mexico at the time. The Phoenix Clinic did travel clinics to Albuquerque. And so I was still reading the book because um, I, you know, I started reading the book. I tried those, you know, exercises a long time ago. But if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it full on. Right. <laughs> so I started reading the book. And basically at the same time, I found this clinic and this travel and scheduled an appointment. And mm-hmm. so I, I jumped right in and, you know, 16 sessions. Here's my money. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to do this. And, you know, he's looking at my posture and I'm like, oh, I'm a gymnast, you know, I've got great posture. It's like, I was very humbled and I was very humbled by the exercises. And it was my lack of ability to do the exercises, which was a huge turning point for me. It's like, I couldn't even connect my brain and my muscles, like in my left glute. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, how how was I even riding my bike was my first question. If I can't use these huge power source, but um, you know, it just didn't make sense. If I've got these exercises and the Agoscu exercises, this posture exercises, they break down function. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you can't do it in a controlled setting on your back, you know, where nothing else is going on, how can I possibly do it in a dynamic upright setting where I'm moving on my bike, dealing with obstacles, it just like made sense. It's like, oh my, okay, this, yeah. this, I need to take care of this. Yeah. It's funny. Apparently that's a normal reaction for athletes is like, I went into the Agoscu clinic the first time and they're like, okay, let's show, let's see your posture. And I'm like, well, I was military. I'm a personal trainer. Like I lift, like I know what good posture is. And then they told me to relax. And I think I shared a bit. It's like my hips rotated, pointed 45 degrees to the left and my shoulders dropped six inches, one side only. Um, it's like, oh yeah, that's probably why I'm not feeling great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, it's it's so eye opening because we don't, we don't look at ourselves that way. And we don't, like you said, we don't relax. We just like, okay, this, I know what I'm supposed to look like. So, Hey, let me do that. But actually we, for the most part, don't know what we're supposed to look like because we don't have good role models and images out there. Yeah. The other thing that you really is the idea that you couldn't engage your glutes, which sometimes the glute exercises are laying on your back, knees bent, and just trying to squeeze a glute. And we'll do people, we'll have people come into the our studio, and it's like we used to do a lot of weightlifting, 
And we have people like, I want to lift weights. But at the same time, I'm like, you want to push 50 pounds overhead with one arm, but you can't wave a circle and feel good and make it look smooth. And it's like, for you, it seems like that was a crucial point of realizing if you can't do the basics in a static, sterile environment where you don't have demand of weights or anything, can't do it in that setting. Was it an immediate, like, ah, oh, I got it? Or did it take some time for you to be like, okay, I have to take it easy other places until I get my glutes to work evenly? Or what was that like? So, well, the, the aha was immediate, but I still had my athletic mindset. Mm-hmm. More is better. Right. right. Oh, he wants me to do this many of these exercises this many times a day. Oh, I can do more than that. <laughs> Yeah, And so I, because of my approach to it, I overdid it, yeah. right? Um, I did, I did cut back because this, at this point, um, I was, I, I was past my pro cycling um, at, at that point. So I had cut back. I, I wasn't really writing at all. Doing a Gosku became my workout. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I still was doing it with the wrong intention. Got it. And so, and it's in the book, you actually talk about how doing it that way led to more pain. Uh huh. Yeah. Because you can't, so if I couldn't engage my glutes, but I kept hammering on it, the body, the body's great. It's going to be like, okay, what is she trying to do? Let me help. Let me help. And so all the other muscles and parts of the body started compensating mm-hmm. to try to get it to do it, even though it's not designed to do it. Um, and so, yeah. So then like my back is trying to be my glued and I mean, just more complications, more patterns that I had to unravel. So the method works beautifully. It's a amazing system that I'm blew my mind when I learned it because I had a background exercise science and thought I knew the body. Right. And so you talked about, so you were actually creating more compensations and more patterns by trying how you went about the exercises. Or strengthening ones that were already there. Okay. And so for somebody who's thinking about a process like this and what would you tell them initially so that they could get the best experience and skip some of those steps that you went through? <laughs> well, I mean, like I, like I said, initially was that mindset mm-hmm. and whether, you know, you need to, to intellectually understand, like mm-hmm. I had to with the book, I had to get that. And I had to have the actual experience. I think This posture work is a very experiential. Um, That's where the change can happen because it all sounds interesting in theory, but it's something we don't really know. And it's not until you get in there and do it that you feel it and then respect that. Mm -hmm. And know that the body can only take and the brain because let's be honest, this is a brain training that we're doing because we are rewiring the whole nervous system from the brain, through the nerves, to the muscles, how that whole connection is working. Because my brain says, okay, glute fire. 
And, and that's not what happens, but we have to retrain that, that process. So it's a neuromuscular adaption and don't expect that you're going to get big glutes right away because the first changes that happen are neuromuscular and they can happen pretty quickly, which is the exciting part. Yeah. Very cool. So you did the Agassi method, which is just a little bit as a posture based system, outside muscles to create changes with the balance of the body. Right. How did you end up going from the Agassi method to PRI then? I plateaued hmm. with my recovery. I mean, I got a lot better. I can fire my glute, mm -hmm. um, but my back pain, my back pain that I came in for initially, which was, I had many symptoms, what I couldn't, couldn't get rid of that entirely. And I needed CEUs for some of my certifications. And I just kept getting these emails about posture and, and stuff. And yeah, let me, let me give that a try. And so that's, it was just this lifelong learning curiosity that led me into taking my first PRI course, which was actually the myoken course. Um, so yeah, on hip pelvis, uh, spine interaction stuff. So okay. that's why, that's how I ended up there. And of course me being me, I had to take it all the way and do the PRT certification. <laughs> Beautiful. And so what is, can you kind of elaborate, Egoscue would be what to you? And then what is PRI and how do they differ, but also work together? So I do both personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, since I started doing PRI, I still maintain doing some, some Agoscu. Um, PRI, PRI is a lot about breathing and gait and asymmetry. So Agoscu, generally when you do an exercise, you do the same thing on both sides. What I learned in PRI about me, about the human body, we're not the same inside. You know, we've got a heart that's kind of offset. We've got lung differences. You know, we've got organs on this side that aren't on that side. I mean, it's not all balanced in there. Mm -hmm. And that can create patterns. And one of the common patterns, actually, as human beings, is not being able to engage the left glute and more so not being able to get into that left glute appropriately, use those left abs, breathe appropriately all of those types of things. And of course, again, another experiential thing, I'm in this class laying on my back with my feet on the wall, trying to blow up a balloon. And I swear my neck, I, I thought it was going to burst. I really, it was so painful. So it was like, holy crap. I don't even know how to breathe. Yeah. So there was that. And it's amazing to me, the, Egoski was all about symmetry on the outside, which I'm like, I can see that we're symmetrical, left arm, right arm, right shoulder, left shoulder, hip and hip should be symmetrical. PRI for me was really like asymmetrically we're inside, we're inside, we're asymmetrical. Right. And if we look asymmetrical outside, that means we're not functioning correctly on the inside, Correct. whereas the breathing comes in. 
Um, really loved also seeing the patterns that I was seeing in Agoski. It was like, oh, okay, that's why we're shifted. Yep. Yep. So, Absolutely. So you're still doing both and integrating them together. Where are you at now? So like, it, it sounds like a rough journey. You've had a lot of things and it's taken some time. What's life like for you now? Is there any limitations? Are you, it seems like you're still doing some pretty crazy bike rides. <laughs> yeah. In um, just in June, I did a five day gravel bike stage race up in Oregon, hmm. which was uh, I think over 350 miles and tons and tons of climbing and yeah, I had one bout. I actually wrote a blog about it where I had some sciatica um, mm. during a very two-hour climb, like forever. And, you know, but I could see that I was all like this on the bike. And, you know, I was able to focus down on my breathing, focus on my sit bones and everything and and, and be able to finish finish the ride. I did get massages after every stage. I did do exercises after every stage. But that's that's fine. I you know I see this is just part of my life now. It's it's how I warm up. It's how I cool down. It's how I take care of my musculoskeletal system. Yeah. Uh, next year we have plans to go to Croatia and do a five day mountain bike stage race over there. Um, I'm running. I'm golfing. I'm hiking. Basically doing most whatever whatever i want we don't have much snow here in moab so <laughs> that's not unfortunately too much of an option but yeah i'm you know i do have to do my exercises i do get myself uh if i'm lazy and slack off i do get myself into problems and but i have the knowledge and i have the temperament now to slow down figure it out and get myself back on track yeah. not freak out. <laughs> yeah. I think that lifestyle aspect is huge where it's, we as a species don't move as often or as in many ways as we were designed to move anymore. And that we need something on a regular basis to remind the body how it's supposed to function. Right. Right. And that's what the exercises really are. And, yeah. you know, I have patterns. I have challenges in my body and when i get fatigued or overdo or get lazy with my exercises it's going to revert back there and so it just needs reminding it needs just this continual um reprogramming to, mm -hmm. to keep myself balanced and able to do what i want to do yeah one of the things i love about the process is that you now have tools that even in a race, you can do where you can adjust yourself so you can keep racing hundreds of miles, which right. makes sense that with that kind oh, of, right. yeah, it's like with that kind of demand, makes sense that something would show up because that's far more than what we're conditioned to. And yeah. so I, I think it's, that's one of the amazing things is like, if you feel bad, you can fix yourself, whether on a bike or at home, you do the breathing and you can get back, not fix yourself. I don't like that language, but rebalance the body. And it's empowerment, right? Yes. Because you feel confident because when I did my first uh, nine day stage race after all of my injuries and stuff, I was very nervous. Is my body gonna hold up? 
But if you have that confidence, that empowerment, that awareness, because you just get so much more in tune with the body. So you notice little things before they get out of hand and you can correct them. Beautiful. I want to shift a little bit. So your story is amazing in itself and overcoming the challenges. And a lot of people that I find are doing alternative work like this, like the Agassi method and PRI, they found it because the normal stuff didn't work. Right. Um, do you have, so you work with people to get out of pain. What are some of those stories of like people that have either been in accidents, they may have had, uh, I've worked with people that have rods up and down their spine from car accidents. What are some of the stories of healing that inspire you of what's possible that you've worked with and you've seen like, wow, if that person can get better, like almost anyone can heal themselves. Right. Thing. You know, I mean, those, those extravagant stories are, are cool, but I think what more people can relate to and that I see more often are just these people that have had a nagging pain, whether mm -hmm. it's neck pain, whether it's back or hip pain. I mean, I'm thinking of one person, 12 years, 12 years, she's like had shoulder blade, neck kind of stuff and tried all this stuff, give her some exercises and within, I don't know, a month or two, She's like, what pain? <laughs> right. So it's, it's just people are willing to put up with so much because yeah. it's, not, it's not that big of a deal, right? It's like, oh, yeah, my neck hurts or this is uncomfortable and it has been for all this time. And we kind of give in and, and say, oh, well, you know, this is just the way it's going to be. And as we know, it's probably going to get worse as they get older. So yeah. th those are the stories that I find actually mm -hmm. really inspiring is just helping these people that have kind of given, you know, is it, this is just kind of how it's going to be, but hey, here's just a few things and now you're not in pain anymore. And now yeah. you can do these things again. I think those are really inspiring. Those, yeah, I, I have to agree. It's like the stories of big challenges being overcome is inspiring. And then it blows my mind how many people will have 10, 20 years of pain. And sometimes within 10 weeks, they're like, I feel amazing. Yeah. And it's like 10 weeks, yep. 20 years of pain, like mind blowing that it can shift. Right, yeah. right, absolutely. What do you think is going on there? And is it that they not, I'm, I'm sure some of those people have tried a lot of things what do you think is different about the process that allows someone to go from 20 years of pain or 12 years to feeling great 12 weeks later? Posture therapy addresses the whole body mm -hmm. and the connections within the whole body. A lot of standard approaches uh, look at the body in parts, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that you may have pain, say, in your shoulder, but the shoulder is not the problem. The problem is a pelvis that's not able to support a good upper body position or a foot that can't, can't, uh, isn't in a good position and, and can't load kind of thing. So I think that is definitely, um, it's a, just a very different approach. 
to how we look at the body, but we have to remember the mind, right? That's part of this as well. And I'm trained as a, a wellness coach and I have a pretty detailed questionnaire, but I think too, just people want someone to listen to them and get that, that validation from someone that their pain is real. And, you know, just, I talk to people about their language, how they talk about their pain, how they talk to their bodies and making them feel safe. The exercises can help them feel safer in their bodies. So I think there is a big um, mental piece to it as well in that we're helping people gain that confidence and be comfortable being in their bodies. Whereas when we have pain, we often are just like, oh, I won't get me away from that right. pain. And really getting in there and, and being curious and being okay with it can really help bring down, it's it's about the nervous systems too. I mean, how we could really go on here, Brian. But yeah. you know, if you're in a in a stress nervous system, you can't heal. So getting them to relax and we do so much breathing, right? I integrate that PRI breathing with every single person. That's the gateway into that parasympathetic, that calming, restorative healing state. One of the things I find interesting about PRI is it's a calming breath, but it's so much work and pressure that it almost doesn't feel relaxing in the moment. But when you're done, you're like, okay, I feel better. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I know for me doing it, I'm like, I felt like I did a workout. And I blew into blue. <laughs> I did three sets of five breath. I'm like, I'm exhausted. What happened? Um, well, if, if, uh, so first of all, I like to do some just not, I mean, because PRI exercises, as you know, are whew, very intense. I like to do more static back sometimes, the, the Goscue, just relaxing and breathing. But from a structural perspective, when you're doing that breathing, you're changing the position of the rib cage. A lot of us have this flare rib cage and our sympathetic nerves are in our spine back here and they're just getting smushed and yeah. keeping us in that sympathetic drive. So you're actually repositioning through the breath and then taking pressure so that the nervous system can change. And PRI emphasizes the exhale phase mm -hmm. and the holding. The exhale phase of the breath is the PNS, the parasympathetic, whereas the inhale phase is the sympathetic. So there's some, some actual anatomy that's changing, but then there's also some nervous system flipping. Yeah. Yeah, so you're incorporating both relaxed breathing and static back, as well as when you do a PRI breath, it's resetting the rib cage and also emphasizing that parasympathetic exhale. And so people calm down. Yeah. That's, I, I think it's a combination of, of both. Yeah. Because PRI exercises can be stressful. <laughs> yeah. I gotta get my heel and I gotta get this and I gotta get that and all of my. <sighs> Yeah. So balancing some of that, we just and exhale and breathe and relax. Yeah. It's amazing. And I think you mentioned it a bit as like we underestimate 
or forget, I'm not sure which, that our body can't heal when it's in a stress state. The energy is the energy. If we're stressed, whether about work or the whatever's happening in our life, our body is in a fight or flight. There's no energy for repair because you have to face something. Stress is a catabolic or breaking down. Mm -hmm. So we are preparing to fight, flight, flee. And so we're breaking down, trying to get, get nourishment and so forth. And it's not a time where we can be repairing the body. It's just like, that is not important. Posture is not important because, you know, we might be eaten by that lion, but these days it's like, yeah, it's that deadline. It's that lack of sleep. Even exercise is a stress. And the, the brain doesn't know what the source of the stress is. All it knows is the load of the stress, yeah. right? So um, so we have to, to think about that in all of this too. Yeah, and I love that you brought up the exercise being a stress because so many people, kind of that athlete health mindset is that we're going to the gym, we're pushing hard, we're getting healthy. When watching a lot of people, I'm like, you're actually making yourself sick the more you work out like that. Um, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, again, I'm going to go back to it's the intention that you go into it with. And yeah, if, I mean, I've, I've worked with people, I'm thinking of, of my, one of my guys in the UK and working with him. And it was the attitude that he was going into his workouts with, and I have to lift this much and I have to do this and this. And, mm -hmm. and then when it was just like, feel your body, be aware and, and notice, I mean, his whole workouts completely changed and got better. That's amazing. So it's often the, again, that energy, that intention yeah. that we bring that can either be stressful or mm -hmm. it can be restorative. I'm yeah. listening to a book on play right now. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what they're, they were talking about is, you know, going for a run can be play but it depends where your mind's at. If you're trying to get your PR or if you're like experiencing and feeling the wind and the sun, it's two very different experiences. Yeah. It seems like that intention and the mindset around it is shaping the experience of either your Goscu exercises or your workouts or just about anything. It's all about your perception, right? Yeah. So I know you've done some work in the mind and the emotions and how it contributes to pain. Could you share a bit about that? A bit. Okay. <laughs> We're almost out of time. I'm sure we can have another conversation, but. So, I mean, the, the body, the tissues hold emotions. Mm -hmm. And you've probably worked with people, I know I have, where you do something like, um, like hip opening, type of things, you know, just some abduction, adduction, and they just start crying because some of those emotions are being let out, released from, from the body. Yeah. And so those repressed emotions can create pain in the body. Real brief. That was, that was brief. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What have you gotten to that, how do you, is it the exercises? And you just, I know 
being that accepting and non-judgmental space of whatever shows up is right. powerful. Is that kind of your approach or do you, with the health coaching, also kind of go into some of the repressed emotion stuff? I am, so I took a course uh, last fall on um, unlearn your pain and Howard Schubner, and he's big into all of this, following in the footsteps of John Sarno, which uh, actually um, healing back pain was one of the books that my one of my first Agassiz therapists recommended to me. And so I'm actually working with a mentor right now to kind of figure out how to fold this piece in because it's very delicate and sensitive. Mm -hmm. I think it's super important, but um, I'm still working on how to bring that that in. Um, but I, I will be. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. There's like, I've, was doing coaching initially and then also the Agosco and I'm like, okay, I can see the emotions showing up and vice, like I can see the patterns back and forth. Um, it's like, how do we bridge that gap where working with the whole person and be, and it's like, there's not a lot that do both that are like, okay, let's right. look at both. And so it's either we're going to just deal with emotions or we're just working with the body. And it's like, I think, in the moment being able to bridge back and forth is powerful and you know one way to do that is when you have someone doing that exercise and you're kind of seeing that that mm -hmm. change and even for someone you know doing an exercise what am i feeling right now what mm -hmm. what's going on as yeah. I'm, I'm doing because i'll speak for myself um being aware of my emotions is not something that is a regular habit for me. <laughs> so I'm, I'm in this process of trying to check in and how am I feeling right now? And what's going on for me right now? And just noticing, you know, helping people help themselves, if you will, making them aware and saying, Hey, I noticed, you know, a change in your, your tone or your, your language has shifted. What are you feeling right now? What, what's going on? with with you about about this you want to talk about that and you know posture therapy healing it's it's about the exercises but for me it exercises a little piece yeah. <laughs> and allowing that space to to let them talk about that stuff and and you might be surprised at at kind of what comes up yeah and then you might have to refer out <laughs> yeah it's an amazing process um, if somebody's in a place that they've had a lot of pain and they're looking for answers, what would you tell them, like, where to start in their journey? Well, it really depends on what they believe they mm. need. Mm. Right. And that's one of the questions, you know, that I, I ask people, because for something to be effective, they need to believe that it's going to work and have confidence, have confidence in the person that they're working with and trust and all of those kinds of things. We often know what we need, mm. but we don't trust it. Yeah. You know, and, and I got to yeah. say it, it's easier to make everything about the physical body. 
It really is for everybody. It's easier to make it about the physical body than that. Oh, I might be stressed or I might need to, to change my sleep habits, or I really shouldn't have five cups of coffee or something like that. (laughs) But, um, you know, it's what the person is motivated about. Are you motivated to, to do something? Do you think it, do you think it's nutrition related? Do you want to go there? What, what are they drawn to do? So I can't say, you know, they, they should, you know, look at their posture or something because that might not be the right place for them to start. They have to, keeping with it is the hardest part, right? Yeah. And so they have to be really motivated and go, you know, I, I, I have been thinking this for a while. This is what I want to, my first step, everything in coaching, right? One step at a time. Yeah. What's the step that makes the most sense that you can commit to right now? Beautiful and great advice. Um, you, I don't know if you haven't read it, there's a book called Mind Over Medicine. Yes, I love that. Yeah, um, I actually I, I do refer to that to Liz Rinkin in in my book. Yeah, Mind Over Medicine, and then she's got one on fear, and she's got a new one um, as well that I I have on my wish list. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'd love to get her on the podcast at some point. Just, oh yeah, she'd be amazing. Yeah, she recommends asking that very same question. It's like, what do you think you need? And people would give all kinds of answers that not related to health at all. No. Nope. Nope. <laughs> like I need to get my finances in order. And it's like, what? <laughs> and yeah, no, I, have, I have a question like that on my questionnaire. And, you know, a lot of times I need to relax and it's like, okay, <laughs> right. That's, you know, that's what I, I go with. And guess what? We can get into static back and we just can do some nice breathing and we can do some stretching and that's going to help them relax, but we can also give them some other tools as well so we can combine some physical tools with some mental tools and and practices and yeah so you got to be flexible yeah and it's like who's in front of you right now like what does this person need that's different from than the other five people you saw today yeah right everyone's a unique individual with their own motivations and they're ready for what they're ready for at the time and we can't force what they don't want to do. Yeah, perfect. And we're getting close to the end of the time today. Is there anything that you wished you would, I would have asked or anything <laughs> thoughts that you have that you'd like to share? Oh, um, no, let's see. I mean, I think we've covered it pretty well. I do want to just re-emphasize we can, you know, that whole nervous system piece and yeah. how, I believe, and I've talked to some of my my peers and colleagues, and it's like, however you can get into that relaxed state, whether, you know, hypnotherapy, acupuncture, massage, stretching, um, deep breathing, whatever it is, if we can't get that, Mm. we're not going to get very far. Yeah. So that's kind of fundamental. And I think the exercises are a great gateway into that again if done with the right intention. Mm. So it's that just the reinforcing that if the body can't calm down and be relaxed, healing can't occur. Nope. And if you're not sleeping, because that's where we recover and that's the, the ultimate letting go and relaxing, you're going to have a hard time as well. Yeah. And just curious, what do you recommend time-wise for sleep? Is that 
How individual is that? Do you have a recommendation? Yeah, there's a new book that one of my clients was talking about exercise. Have you read this one yet? And he, he was saying something, you know, I think the best advice I have heard about sleep is, you know, if you're tired, (laughs) go to bed. And if you fall asleep right away, you're probably sleep deprived. And if you ever have the luxury of just giving yourself the ability to sleep in and kind of figuring out what is it, what is the amount of sleep that works best for me when I am not dictated by an alarm? Yeah, I hate that one answer. The only only reason I don't like it is every time I do that, and I've done it many times, it's nine hours almost to the dot. It's like my body needs nine hours. And it's like during the week, getting nine hours is a bit tough. And because I get up at five, so I'd have to go to bed at like eight. And so I get seven and a half during the week. And sometimes on the weekends get nine, but almost every time nine hours, which is like, I have so much I need to do. You have to sound exactly, that's what my body loves nine. But realistically, I don't generally get it. And then, of course, they say that getting extra sleep on the weekends is not great. I mean, they say that getting up at the same time or within 30 minutes is really the key to a good sleep cycle. There's a lot more, you know, about sleep that that needs to be be looked at, but it is an important component. Absolutely. Lately, I've been exploring the idea of uh, uh, Dr. Huberman uh, with the Huberman podcast talks about non-sleep deep rest so different Mm -hmm. yoga practices where it's like you might not be sleeping but or it's not going to replace your night's sleep but you can do these relaxation practices and still replace that and there's going to be benefits far beyond just sleeping you're also going to be training your brain to be more relaxed and as well so i've been trying to add that in as part of my static back process when i'm laying there for 15 minutes type thing And I think they found the same kind of thing with meditators that, you know, so much meditation is similar to so much sleep. So yeah, having those kind of restorative practices mixed in to the day is a a good way to, to regenerate and recharge as well. Yeah, perfect. And I love that. Yeah, it seems like you've been at this path for a while and it's like all the different elements you've brought together. Um, yeah, it's, it's exciting to know what you can do for people. So, very cool. Yeah. Got to look at the whole body, but also the whole person. Yeah, absolutely. Expanding <laughs> our approach. Yeah. So, if somebody's heard, heard the podcast today and they want to get in touch with you, what's the b- best place you'd like me to send them? Um, my website would be, be great. And um, it's the pain-free athlete or PF athlete is yeah, the way. Yep. Yep. And I've got um, a lot of, a lot of great blogs. I work really hard on my blogs once a month to put out, I have exercises on there and a lot of the different concepts that, that I talked about. And I also have um, courses on di- like back pain, core strength, and I do a live weekly class online as well so you can get a membership or a free membership and i do uh free consultations as well if anyone wants to go into anything further beautiful well it's been a pleasure having you on today i'm going to put the courses the link to the courses the website um all in the show notes so if anyone's listening they can definitely follow you to learn more highly recommend it um just the 
at least doing a consultation because the insights and just the, um, I can tell you there to serve. You're not, hey, you should sign up right now. It's like, where are you at? What's going to serve you best? And I really love that about your approach. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the best money making, but, um, you know, my, my underlying, you know, motivation is I want to help people. And if I'm not the right person, I want to kind of help you, you know, you might, might be right for you. Like, like we did, right. We had a console and it's like, well, I'm trying this. I'm like, you, you go, you do that. And, and yeah, so I tried to be no pressure. I, I don't like that. I don't think anybody likes that. Yeah, I agree. And so it's been a pleasure having you on today. I look forward to having you on again, talking about different, more uh, specific topics, whether it's back pain or shoulder pain, those type of things. So it's been great having you on the show today. Thank you very much, Brian. I appreciate it. And it was fun.